Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. Thank you for joining today's episode. We're on a mission to share e-commerce logistics insights, trends, successes, and challenges from the leaders and innovators in our space. And there's something about being fact-based. It's easy to, to trick ourselves into doing just something and it doesn't really matter. It's not the right thing to do. So once you start measuring and actually have a system for capturing data, it's real, you can really leverage and make a difference in, in, in those areas. Welcome, Ecom Logistics Nation. This episode, Nanad and I welcome Hannah Kane, president and CEO of Alum, a supply chain company she founded back in 1997. Alum operates out of 19 global locations to support its Fortune 500 customers in the technology, automotive, life science, and regulated industry sectors. Hannah is also a board member of the National Association of Manufacturers, WBEC Pacific, the Women's Business Enterprise National Council, and last but not least, she is board chair of How Women Lead Silicon Valley, and is a member of the Committee of 200 for Executive Women. She's been recognized with numerous awards, including Top 10 Women in Logistics by Global Trade Magazine, and Hannah recently won the SDCE Women Leaders in Supply Chain Award. Congratulations on on all that well-deserved recognition, Hannah. We are thrilled to have you joining us today, and welcome to the podcast. I am thrilled to be here, Dan. Thank you for the gracious introduction, and I really look forward to our discussion today. Absolutely. And I think uh, if my memory serves right, Hannah's the first women 3PL founder, right, or a supply chain uh, founder uh, that we have point. had. I mean, we have had CEOs, right, and, you know, VPs and CSCOs, right? But the first founder, and that too back in the 90s. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Oh, fantastic. Let's talk about that and why we don't call ourselves a 3PL too. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh good. We're gonna, we'll get right into that. Um, and I think, Hannah, you know, obviously getting to meet you and you know, doing some research, it's, it's amazing that Alum is only a few years away from celebrating its 30-year anniversary you know, in any industry that's impressive um, and would love for you to take us back to those early days and walk us through the catalyst for for launching the business and what, what drove you into the supply chain space? Well, I think uh, I think that uh, there are kind of two dimensions, right? There's a dimension of uh, starting a business and uh, Listen, I dreamt about uh, starting a business from I was four years old, right? <laughs> and, you know, in the teens when uh, probably all my, uh, especially female classmates were looking, were dreaming of Prince Charming, I was scheming on <laughs> and learning more about business and, 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 and uh, thinking about starting a business. So I was always very entrepreneurial and thinking about that, and it was actually one of the drivers for me immigrating from Denmark because Denmark was just not a good place to start a business at the time. So uh, in 1990, I bought the one-way ticket uh, and and came to the U.S. and uh, in 1940, Silicon Valley. And uh, there were a number of fascinating things in Silicon Valley that made me start a 
But the other aspect is I've always been fascinated at this thing about creating something and, and, and physical goods, right? And, and, and so the manufacturing part of it, the production part of it has been very fascinating to me. And, and what happened when I got to Silicon Valley was I saw all this technology and I started thinking about what happens if we marry that? And today everybody goes, oh, of course, right? But at the time, nobody was thinking about it, right? So so, um, so in 97, when we started ALOM, you know, I was like, well, how about we create visibility to what we have? So we, we did the, probably what's the first customer portal in the industry in 97, right? Uh, and people could actually see their inventory and it was totally fresh, like every day we would refresh it, right? And today we can laugh, but uh, you know, it people out of uh, out of the water at the time. Um, so there was that aspect of can we take technology and really elevate what we are doing when we move or produce goods. The other thing I was thinking was, can we do? Can we create a supply chain company that uh, is doing well by everybody in the supply chain? So not just uh, not just customers, right? We all want to to be the preferred supplier to our customers, but also to employees. Can we make the employees feel really good about being there? Can we make the vendors feel really good about being part of that ecosystem? Can we create a, a really a connection to the community? So that was kind of the other vision was. Uh, to do what today is called ESG, right? But uh, at the time, it was uh, people were not thinking so much about uh, incorporating those values into supply chain. And then it was about quality and excellence, right? So I saw a lot of people out there having uh, issues with uh, actually delivering what they promised. And so I was very much about excellence and, and, and how can we elevate people such that they really can do what they need to do and give them the tools to succeed. So, so those were kind of the foundational thoughts as 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 we started ALO. Yeah, you know, something I got to highlight on that front, uh, from my perspective at least, is the three things that you just called out. Right, um, talking about technology uh, and thinking about it back in the nineties. The unfortunate part that. I get to see in the industry over and over again. And you said, you know, we look back and laugh at it. You won't believe the number of companies still today will ask, why do we need a portal to show the inventory position to the customer? Like, can I not just like email a report like on a daily basis, right? And then they will have the numbers, right? Um, and so as much as technology has evolved and there have been some really good groundbreaking moments out in the industry, there is a lot that still needs to evolve in this space, right? And so being able to do that in the 90s. Talking about ESG, and I, I, I want to dig into this, right? Like that's, that's something that I have also seen in the industry where the warehousing distribution specific space, right? Like there is some focus on the transportation side, but we don't have enough focus industry-wide in general around ESG. If you were to ask a lot of people, leaders in the uh, distribution space, yeah, the, you know, if the client asks for it, let's do it type of thing versus you going for some of the ISO certification, the greenhouse gas certifications, right? Like to be able to like accommodate that and, you know, staying ahead of the industry. I think that's a really critical goal as well that you have achieved. I, You know, the, these things, 
and also doing it out of with that silicon valley mindset because what we have seen is yes since i would say 2010 plus right like that time frame you've seen a lot of focus in the supply chain space but not a lot of companies had that much technological innovation in the supply chain space and i guess it's that silicon valley ethos that comes into play for you right and quality you mentioned quality so i just want to bring that up a lot of people focus on quality from the perspective of uh uh you know quality standards to healthcare because the client is forcing you to go there rather than adopting quality standards where you would say hey it doesn't matter if the product that i carry inside the warehouse is a $5 product that's inside the truck is a $10 product i'm still going to achieve a six sigma inventory accuracy right like that that level of like rigor is still not existent and i know there is a cost associated to that rigor that comes along with it as well right so uh, i don't know about that thing with the cost you know i always said that the that quality is free right uh, because uh, you know it's better to do things right the first time than having to do them over and uh, what we have done is incorporated quality as one of the core elements in our uh, culture and so it's part of what we are and how we do things right and we think about how do we make this right the first time and and we set our systems up to support that so that's that's part of the vision so i always believe that not only is quality free it's actually probably the only way to run a profitable company in the industry makes sense makes sense So a couple of things that I want to draw on before I think Nanad just did an amazing job framing where we're going to go in this conversation <clears throat> but I do want to go back to one other thing that you mentioned um is why you don't call yourself a 3PL. So what is what's the origin behind that and what's what yeah what's the the strategy there? Yeah, so we are really a supply chain company. So we do uh, we take over parts of our customer supply chain and do everything from planning for excellent execution um with uh, based on our values we also then do procurement uh, production so we have in-house production okay. facilities right so we are really a contract like contract manufacturer and then we do distribution so we are very customized to our customers when they come in we really you know 80 to 90% of what our customers ask us to do we already do but 10 to 20% we invent for that customer and so we really understand the customer and it's a very intimate process over to the customer so when when you say 3PL we are thinking warehouses that do that take product in and then they do distribution right we do a lot more out of all our facilities and we also have a different level of customer intimacy where we are doing things like a product configuration and uh, tracking and visibility of uh, a number of different uh, issues we do uh, uh, media duplication we do a lot of different other services in house so uh, we have a lot of services that a normal 3PL would not have So was that the original strategy or was it kind of the voice of customer that that drove you into all these other different segments that you offer? 
oh, a little bit of each, right? Where a customer, <laughs> maybe so a customer comes and says, hey, uh, can you do the, this or the, that? We will certainly think about that and see if we can incorporate it. And that's really how we, over the years, elevated the company to do a number of different uh, activities. But we always were very um, focused on doing whatever the customer needed, which, which encompassed a lot of different functions in the uh, in the supply chain. So, uh, so yeah, we, we started out doing quite a bit of what we're doing now, but we added a lot of services. And, of course, we changed a lot. And, uh, you know, hey, the first year we were in business, uh, 57% of our revenue came from floppy disk duplication. And, uh, some of you <laughs> may not know what a floppy disk is, sure. right? So, I know my kids won't wouldn't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, my my one of my nephews said, uh, "Hey, I showed him my floppy disk." He said, "Oh, that looks like the save button." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I think um, uh, we've always been very focused on on being the one stop partner, right? And and so. Uh, of course, at some point of time, you've got to say, okay, this is too much out of scope. But we've actually been able to meet our customers' requirements over, over time. So we, we, lean to, we lean towards saying yes. So, so Hannah, like going back to the 90s, right? Like, here's, I, I started off with the comment about like, the first like, women founder of a supply chain company um, you know, joining the podcast. How was it in the 90s? Like, you know, were, were the struggles real? Because there is a perception and I, I had to say, you know, I've been in the industry since uh, about 2005, six time frame at this point as well. And the industry has definitely evolved quite a lot over just that duration that I'm talking about right now. And you, you were there way before me, but it wasn't you weren't trying to break into a company. You were trying to build a company and you were sitting in these boardrooms, these meeting rooms that looked very different back in the 90s can you can you share a little bit about that yeah i, th I think it was hard because there was uh, certainly more barriers for women back then uh, there's still barriers for women but i think back then was uh, was challenging uh, and uh, uh, you know lots of stories about people calling and asking for mr elon I think one of my favorite stories was I, I wanted to uh, lease some space. Well, you know, space is a big deal when you're starting up, right? You know, so so uh, and uh, so I'm meeting directly with the landlord, and the landlord uh, keeps going. Oh, but what does your husband think about this? Well, my husband <laughs> involved in the business, right? So, so you know, finally, I, you know, after a, a couple of go-arounds, I was like, "This, I'm not going to be able to make a deal here." And that that relationship, we we just couldn't build that relationship. And I went and started working with another landlord, and in the meantime. I sent them at least twenty or thirty million dollars worth of business that the other guy lost out on, right? So you know, it's a, it's not you know that entire thing is pretty can be pretty dysfunctional. The other thing that happened was uh, that uh, so I'm not easily discouraged, right? So uh, so we uh, did uh, thirty four bank presentations before we found a bank. We, 
we could bank with. So uh, I had a dumb pet by by then. By, you know. <laughs> uh, so th- those were kind of the areas where I saw saw most of the of the barriers. But you know, I mean, it is what it is. You you try to succeed in the environment you are in, and there were also a lot of good good things happening, right? All the people who believed in, in in what we could do and believed in we could build this company and who joined my team, right? Which at the time you had to think about that you want to work for a female CEO, right? Yeah. You know, that was a real decision back then. And, and, and so it, and lots of good stuff also. So that one should never forget that. Yeah, and... It- Maybe, and this is a hypothesis, maybe being in Silicon Valley potentially helps versus some of the hubs of like where logistics and supply chain kind of plays out, right? Like Silicon Valley is not the natural hub and it's starting to evolve now just because of the type of companies that are there. But in the 90s, I'm guessing that kind of does help with at least the environment around you is more supportive than... If you, and I don't want to call out any specific cities on the podcast, but there are cities in the Midwest where it would have been a different scenario altogether. Okay. Yeah, that, I think there might be something to that, but there was also this uh, strong outsourcing trend among technology companies. And so they had uh, a number of technology companies had uh, actively decided that they were going to outsource and that was their strategy. And they didn't want to build their production uh, 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 production sites and distribution sites. They wanted to outsource. So, so that kind of fueled the industry here in California as well. So we're still in, in California. I'm here for, in California right now. So uh, all on a plane a lot of times, right? Out yeah. to visit customers and sites. But, uh, but yeah, we're still headquartered in California. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, Hannah. <clears throat> All right, so now we're going to jump into uh, ESG um, and the trends that are going on there. And for those that aren't familiar, uh, ESG is environmental, social, and governance, uh, and the reporting that uh, comes out of it and the need. And Hannah, it it feels like based off of the earlier conversation that you've actually embedded some of this into the company's DNA, and it's just part of your people and the organization, but it is a hot topic today. And there is a lot of complexity specifically in the world of supply chain as it relates to ESG reporting. Um, so what has been your approach to you know, addressing that ESG complexity and just curious how you go about um, collaborating with your clients to, to work through it? Okay. Well, there's a, the, there was a lot of meat on that question. We are committed to sustainability, right? And and that's what a lot of people are talking a lot about right now. But there's also the social aspect, right? So that's about how can we help the uh, the communities we're in. So we are generally sourcing really close to our facilities, uh, which helps the community we are in, and it also helps the environment. Right. So there's a lot of things you can do just by and and frankly also the agility and resilience, right? You know, you don't have to get everything from the other side of the world. Um, the other thing with social is of course things like uh, are, are people being treated right in the supply chain? 
And and now you were talking about uh, okay, how you're dealing with the reporting. Well, in Germany, uh, with the Supply Chain Act they have there, if you cannot prove that uh, you don't use slave labor in the supply chain, then you can be fined 4% of your worldwide revenue. So if you deal with with some of the U.S. corporations, let's call it Amazon, Apple, Ford, uh, GM, 4% 4% of the annual revenue, that's real money. And so uh, I think we all overlook the, the social aspect at our peril. Uh, we need to make sure that our supply chains are solid. So it's both the penalties, the regulatory aspect coming in, but it's also, I think, a reputational risk and, and frankly, for me, an emotional risk. I, I don't want anybody in our supply chain to be uh, put their lives at risk or uh, work, work in, in an environment where they don't work out of their own volition. So, so there's a, a lot of, of media issues in this, right? So when it comes to the environment, we went from... Um, uh, from people saying, oh, what is all this thing with the environment? Then we went to, okay, everybody ought to do something, right? Not define what something yeah, is. Exactly. Right? And, and, and then now we are a little bit more getting into the phase where everybody is saying, okay, let's measure it. Right? And, and, and I think that that is what you really need to do. Right? I'm always... Uh, making fun of my husband, saying, uh, uh, oh, my husband is making fun of me, to be honest, uh, because uh, I, uh, when it's Christmas, I say, okay, if the cookie is broken, it's got no calories, right? And and, and it, uh, it's not necessarily fact-based, right? And, and there's something about being fact-based, right? It, it, it's easy to, to trick ourselves into doing th- just something and it doesn't really matter. It's not the right thing to do. So once you start measuring and actually have a system for capturing data, it real, you can really leverage and make a difference in, in, in those areas. So that's, that's very much what we are about. We set a baseline and then we have a, a path to improve. So there's improvement we can do in our own facilities and with our carriers and with our suppliers and so forth. Then there's what we can do with our customers. Right? So our customers all have physical goods. When you have physical goods, 95% of your emissions thereabouts come from the supply chain and only 5% from your headquarters of what's going on internally. So that really doesn't matter, to be honest, right? It's the supply chain that matters. So we sit down with our customers as part of our QBR process. We sit down with the business review process. We sit down with them and talk about their impact on the environment and how we can help drive that down. So that's a standard item on our agenda with our customers in a collaborative manner. So, uh, you know, it's a, we're putting it up on the agenda and uh, I think uh, that's where it should, should stay. So, so Hannah, would you say like as a, you know, any company that wants to follow good ESG, you know, standards that they kind of make similar to quality or other things that they do where they make it part of their core, regardless of if the customer is asking or not to be able to capture the data and then present it and say, hey, 
here's here's an opportunity area for you for what we know about your supply chain of course you are you know you don't get the full visibility but the part of visibility that you do have presenting even before you are being asked exactly i think uh, i think it's key to get it into every decision being made and also to bring that visibility over to customers. And listen, if you if you go in and see people's reviews online of different products, etc., many of the complaints people have is it came in too big packages. Uh, you know, it's a, it doesn't look sustainable. Different ways. You know, why was it sent via Kentucky? You know, whatever. Right? You know, I mean, people look yeah. at it. Right? So it's really an inducer movement, and we shouldn't underestimate that. Yeah, and, and so, so just to dive one level deeper on that, because transportation has such a huge impact, right? Like if you look at it from a supply chain standpoint, that's where you know, a, a lot of the, the, the environmental impacts kind of come from. You know, in my search for the sustainable carrier, I don't find too much that is out there. Uh, is that me not finding the right companies or like are the partners out there that people can rely on to be able to say, Hey, I can provide you, you know, the true carbon footprint or whatever measurement you are trying to capture, but the carriers are able to support that information back to you. Like what's your strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think the strategy needs to be around how can we transport things around the least. Right, you know, there's how do we transport it more sustainably, but there's how do we minimize how much we are moving things around, right? So, again, you look at the finished goods, uh, typically the finished goods has a lot of air in the boxes and takes up more space, etc. So, can you transport it to a, closer to a destination? in a more raw form, doing what we call postponement, right? Last minute, uh, making it into the finished goods that the customer needs. Then you can maybe also, as part of that, you can have uh, less inventory. Less inventory generally means less scrap. Right. Yep. So, you know, when the, I mean, you know, we all know the, in the industry the problem that we don't know where the demand is. We don't know how big the demand is and where to position inventory. So, the less inventory you can have and still fulfill, yep. the, the, the less waste you have. Right. So, this is not just about finding a carrier that's more sustainable or has uh, less issues of different types. It's also about thinking about how you can make your supply chain more responsible in, in different ways. How can you transport things less? How can you make whatever you transport uh, smaller and easier to deal with? How can you uh, eliminate waste in your inventory positioning? Uh, how can you uh, produce just a time, whether it's via postponement or via 3D print strategies or digital print strategies or things of that nature. So uh, it's more of a big picture thing, I think, mm -hmm. than just looking at the carrier's responsibility. But certainly uh, we do look at carrier's responsibility. I mean, uh, you may have seen that I recently posted about us getting uh, a truck in where they clearly had, that clearly had been used for human trafficking. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, you could just see that that 
with what had happened and 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 we we react really strongly to things like that. I mean, you know, that no doubt about it. And you know, I only found out a couple of days later because my staff just went uh, was all over it. So uh, you know, that makes me really proud when they just take action immediately. Wow. Now that's uh, no, I have not read that post, but I am. Going I'm to good. read that post because yeah, that sounds. Uh, I mean, out of all the Very stories big. I've had of like trucks being used for different things, this is one that's uh, definitely the one that gives you shock to the system. So, and I'm glad you guys kind of like figured it out and and did something about it. Wow! And, and yeah. you know what? That actually brings me to like the the social aspect of the ESG side of things, right? So you brought up the example of like you know let's make sure you know you don't use slaves in in actually manufacturing something but just within the north american system right like you heard all the stories from as an example amazon um yeah you're getting paid minimum wage right like in a in a lot of the supply chain activities that actually occur i've always been vocal about the fact that you know automations are required because um, a lot of these jobs people don't want to do because you know, we have turned it into a race to the bottom in from a cost cost management perspective. Some of the activities that occur in manufacturing or in warehousing, it's kind of become something that you, you also have a high attrition type environment. But the fact of the matter is, right, we still need a lot of human labor in actually doing this work and labor management and quality standards, etc. require a lot of rigor how do we balance that, right? Like in, in, in doing that versus the profitability versus, you know, being good social citizens, right? Not, not just the partners, but the employees that are working under you, be it a badged employee or a contracted temp worker, doesn't really matter. It's at the end of the day, human beings. So I'm, I'm guessing a lot of people could learn a lot of things from you for you to be able to achieve these standards. So... I think it's about uh, doing right by people and starting from that that standpoint. And you know, people, I, I hear a lot of discussion about retention, employee retention, and that's a real key thing because if you look at the demographics, especially in the U.S., it doesn't work fast, right? You know, you you do the math, and it doesn't look good in terms of uh, hiring people five, ten, twenty years from now. And so, so you need to do something with automation, but you also individually need to do something on the retention side. But for me, retention is not really the goal. For me, engagement is the goal. Right? So if you look at engagement in the U.S. workforce, about 37% of the workforce is engaged in what they do. 37%. Now, that's a really scary number because yeah. two Thirds of everybody going to work or working from home or whatever they're doing are not engaged in their yeah, work. Yeah. That's really a scary, scary number. And if you run a company or a department or and you're not thinking about that, you're really missing the boat, right? Oh, yeah. So for us, it's very much about engagement, and that starts with uh, treating people right from the beginning. Uh, it starts with, uh, uh, of course, supplying a great work environment and very inclusive work environment. It also uh, includes having uh, benefits, of course, uh, fair compensation, uh, and then it includes uh, um, 
having everybody be part of their job. It's not just something you show up, but they, they, it's got a purpose to it, right? And 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 so that's that's part of what we're working on all the time. Are there days where it's more fun to work a day long than not? Yeah, probably, right? But but you know, in the end, uh, it's important to me that everybody feels part of the company and part of of building something. And and I think that's a key thing for everybody who is in business, not just in supply chain to think about yeah. is uh, those uh, that employee engagement. And of course, with engagement comes the retention. And that brings me to the other part of your question, which is, yeah, but isn't it more expensive to uh, have, uh, have people there? And, uh, you know, lots of studies show that the big problem, the big cost, especially uh, on senior levels, is Turnover, right? So you have turnover. You have. I mean, you know, one thing is a line worker not good, but you know, but you go to manager level. Uh, I was just even yesterday evening speaking with somebody who says it takes us a year to onboard somebody at mid level, right? In supply chain. Because uh, we all we have complex stuff going on, a lot of processes and a lot of systems, and uh, so a year to onboard somebody. So that's another thing we have worked on is, okay, uh, and I had an epiphany some years back around this entire thing with onboarding. How can we make onboarding faster? And so I went, uh, well, can we go from one or two years for people to understand everything related to their job to one week? And what would that take? And so we did, uh, I don't think we have one week, but we are, we are, we are pretty darn good at getting people uh, effective from, from the beginning. So there are different ways of driving costs down in, in a system other than negotiating uh, the employee's salary down. Exactly. Yeah. Makes a lot That's, of sense. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm curious, Hannah. Well, first of all, we can't have a podcast, it feels like, anymore without talking about uh, AI. And I'm wondering if you have either in use or are contemplating AI for some of what we just talked about. So when you talked about sustainability and you talked about uh, you know, inventory forecasting or you know, maybe it's raw material forecasting for some of the contract manufacturing that you do, um, when it comes to the engagement with employees or engagement with clients, are you are you seeing what what's your take? Because I think you know there's there's people who are super excited about it on one side of the fence, and there there's others that think it's you know kind of lip service and it's not quite where everyone thinks it is. So, um, would just love your perspective on you know are there use cases where you're applying AI in your business today? And, you know, are there any that you're considering down the road? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I'm really super bullish on AI, but not now. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so, uh, so we do use AI. I mean, obviously, editing and, and things like that, like everybody else. Uh, we, are, you see, we have uh, some AI applications with uh, item recognition. So what what uh, what we're seeing right now is AI 
is really good when you have a human behind it uh, who looks at things, right? So, so in in supply chain, none of us like ninety five percent accuracy or ninety eight percent accuracy. It doesn't do anything for us, right? Yeah. And especially for us who are in the medical industry, right? You, I mean, you cannot use that for anything. You need to you need to go up and touch a hundred percent, right? And 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 so where uh, AI can be useful is things like cycle counting, where another person then looks at any discrepancies, right? You know, those type of applications we're seeing now, we are rolling them out, we're using AI in a couple of different places in the company. But when I look at the future, and I'm glad we get to talk about the future, now we went down memory lane yeah. to, uh, to yes. the ninth, yes. right? So let's look at, let's talk about the future also. Um, so, um, you know, I think AI has a lot of different uh, applications and supply chains. So, first of all, we are sitting with a lot of unstructured data that we cannot really do anything with. And when I say unstructured, I, during the pandemic, right, one of the big pro problems we had to the pandemic supply chain crisis was we had systems that were very good at dealing with structured data, right? But yeah. we had a lot of unstructured data. So when the structured data was, oh, we have an item and the lead time is 17 days. That's a structured data. Well, you know what, what happened during the pandemic was all of a sudden it was, ah, it's not 17 days, it's maybe four weeks, it's maybe two years, right, you know, <laughs> kind of. And our systems were not set up to deal with that type, type of ambiguity, right? And, 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 now I use that as an example, but there are lots of more uh, pieces of unstructured data out there. So if we can normalize it, if you think about how much time do we all spend in supply chain on normalizing data? And, and there's things like unit of measure. Right. You know, uh, think about if we can do that systematically. Now, maybe we can even get our systems to talk to each other. We get our system in, we get the SAP and we transfer things, or we get uh, a high job in and all of a sudden it, it connects, right, because it knows how to connect those type of things. Uh, and it knows how things, they can see how things are set up and how it should be transferred and those type of normalization. But the big, big thing out there for, with AI is, of course, demand forecasting. And, you know, if supply chain professionals want, uh, had a magic wand and they had one wish, right? It would be to know where products, where the demand was, where should I position my inventory and which inventory and how oh, much them. Right. That's, I mean, that's, that's a holy grail, right? And, and, um, and I think that's way out in the future, but I think we have a possibility of doing some of that with AI, uh, especially on consumer goods. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I feel that there's fantastic, uh, opportunities out there. I think everybody should play with AI, use the productivity gains you can get from AI. I don't think that it's ready for prime time and supply chain. Yeah. And, and you know what, that, that this is an interesting conversation because two things. One, you, you mentioned, you know, uh, it's a little far out when it comes to some of that critical demand forecasting type capabilities. And that's, you know, it goes down to the point like, 
so we used to work for FedEx, both Dan and I. And so we always used to say, we can predict where the box is going to go. But what we don't know is what's going to be in the box, right? Like, so, so that is something that we are blind to as a, as a carrier. But there are companies now, right? Like, think about the likes of Googles and Amazons that actually know where the demand, true demand signals exist, right? And have the data necessary to be able to do that. And so one of the conversations we had was with a, 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 a supply chain leader in Google, right, where Google's ability to be able to predict some of that and their willingness to start sharing that level of data from a demand forecasting perspective. I think there are technological innovations that are just around the corner that are actually going to help us tremendously. When some of these companies take that social responsibility to say, hey, this is for the good of the society, to be able to expose some of that data. Of course, data is what makes these companies data rich, right? But if that, that starts, starts to happen, I think we are going to start seeing that uh, uh, change in the industry. So, and... I, I agree, and it's going to be a new revenue stream for them, right? Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, there are people out there, there are companies out there that already do some of this. Uh, they go in and measure sentiments on uh, on social media, and they know that, oh, now there's a Barbie movie out, and everybody wants things <laughs> in right? you know, and those type of things, right? Uh, so, uh, so, you know, we're starting... As I said, it's early days. I think it will be difficult to do in B2B, but B2C, I think uh, I think we have some promise of seeing it in our lifetimes. I completely agree, 110%. Hannah, before we let you go, we've talked a lot about your past and your journey in the present day, but I know you got very excited about talking about the future. So... Are there any other, do you have maybe two, three, four trends or what's, what are you most excited about? We're sitting here January, 2024. What are you most excited about that uh, that's around the horizon for us? So I think a lot of the issues we're having now will be solved by technology. And so I'm a big uh, technology believer. I also think that there's uh, huge challenges ahead the next years. Um, because technology is lagging right now in uh, solving what the supply chain problems we are having, the challenges. Uh, so uh, if you look at geopolitics, it's a big worry for everybody. Uh, right now, uh, the Houthis have essentially uh, shut down the Suez Canal. Right? Uh, that's impacting freight all over the globe. Uh, we've got Panama Canal without water. You know, and that's just the canals, right? So uh, then we've got uh, the different uh, tariffs and conflicts and uh, and uh, barriers to trade. And I think that right now people are just trying to deal with this uh, in the supply chain industry as well as we can. But technology will eventually help, but the next couple of years is going to be really challenging. And then the, the other thing that I see is regulations. Right? And especially for somebody who does international business, You've got a plethora of, of regulations in different areas. In the U.S., 
Uh, we have states going in and regulating things they've never regulated before on top of federal regulations and local regulations. So you get a, a very challenging regulatory environment and it puts a big burden on industry as such, but especially on supply chain organizations. And again, I, I, I'm a technology believer. I believe that eventually technology will be helping us solve some of this. But, you know, the next couple of years are just going to be very challenging for supply chain professionals. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always concerned that uh, that we need, you know, our policy is to be compliant and to follow regulations, but it, it's very, very challenging. So, uh, so, and our customers are seeing that as well. So, uh, so I think, uh, I think those are two big, big challenges that uh, we are going to have to work to um, uh, over the next uh, um, couple of years. And, you know, I was born in uh, Odense, Denmark, uh, with the town of the fairy tale with uh, Hans Christian Andersen. And he he had uh, a thing in one of his fairy tales. He said that things uh, will be so much worse and you've got to go through a lot before it gets better. And I think that uh, kind of uh, describes uh, what I see for, for supply chain uh, the next couple of years. So none of us are going to run out of things to do the next couple of years. Yeah, completely agree. Based yes. on that, yeah, we all got jobs. <laughs> right, right. Amazing, Hannah. Um, and Hannah, it was an absolute pleasure having you join us today. And thank you for such a wonderful conversation. As we wrap up here, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share with the audience where they could go to follow you on social media. You mentioned some posts that you're doing. So if that's on LinkedIn or wherever that might be could share that with the audience where they could go to learn more about uh, ALUM. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's been a great pleasure to be here and talk about one of my favorite topics. Right? Uh, so uh, uh, you can go to ALUM's website, ALUM.com, so it could be easier than that, right? Uh, yes. and, uh, and we've got the podcast on there and we've got blog on there and, of course, general information. And uh, a lot of it you can also see either at Elam's LinkedIn site or you can go to my personal LinkedIn site, which is Hannah King. Uh, and uh, so we are fairly easy to find on the web, I think. So uh, we like to, uh, we like to uh, talk about uh, what's going on and uh, be part of uh, leading the supply chain effort. That's uh, actually one of our goals is to be part of the supply chain ecosystem and uh, help uh, help the supply chain in general. That's amazing. Thank you very much, Anna. Well, it was my pleasure to be here. Hi, I'm Ninad Acharya, CEO and co-founder of Fulfillment IQ. And I'm here with... Dan Call, CRO and partner at Fulfillment IQ. We're the team behind the Ecom Logistics Podcast. Our mission is to provide you with genuine insights from our work alongside logistics leaders to help you improve your supply chain. In the Ecom Logistics Podcast, we share the knowledge and the insights we've gained from working alongside amazing brands, retailers, 3PLs, and VCs, so you can make the most out of your supply chain journey. If you like what you're hearing, we'd truly appreciate your support with a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting channel. 
Your feedback not only keeps us going, but also helps others find the podcast. If you think Fulfillment IQ can assist you, or if you have an idea related to logistics, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm always up for a chat and ready to explore new possibilities together. Stay tuned to the Ecom Logistics Podcast on your favorite podcast platform for fresh and practical insights into e-commerce and logistics. Until next time, let's keep making a difference in logistics together.